Welcome everyone to our first in-person Citizens General Obligation Bond Oversight Committee meeting. Public comment will be taken before or during the committee's consideration of each agenda item. Speakers may address the committee for up to three minutes. Members of the public attending the meeting in person will have an opportunity to provide public comment on every item. In addition to imperfect person public comment, the Citizens General Obligation Bond Oversight Committee will hear up to 20 minutes of remote public comment on each agenda item. Because of the 20 minute time limit, it is possible that not every person in the queue will have an opportunity to provide remote public comment. Remote public comment from people who have received an accommodation due to disability will not count towards the 20 minute limit. <clears throat> Note that additional, okay, we can just skip that. Instructions for providing remote public comment by phone are as follows. Public comment call-in number is 415-655-0001. Access code is 2487-839-1125, 2487-839-1125. And if it asks for a password, it is 1234. Again, that's 1234. Please wait for the agenda item before making a comment on that item. Members of the public making remote public comment will speak in the order they are received in the queue as described below. When the moderator announces the committee is taking public comment, members of the public can raise their hand by pressing star three and you will be queued. Callers will hear silence when waiting for their turn to speak. The operator will unmute you. You may have to press star six to be unmuted. If it doesn't work, I'll remind you. When prompted, each caller will have three minutes to provide comment. Ensure you are in a quiet location, speak clearly, turn off any TVs or radios around you. Chair Matthews, may I read the land acknowledgement? Yes, please. Thank, Thank you. We acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramai Tushalone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramai Tush community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you, Roseanne. Uh, may you, you please take roll? Sure. Uh, Vice Chair Crawford? Present. Member Gein? Present. Member Larkin? Present. Chair Matthews? Present. Member Pantoja? Present. And Member Sanderlin? Present. We have a quorum, and for the record, it's uh, 9.36 a.m. Um, Roseanne, may you please move to item two. Item two, opportunity for the public to comment on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction that are not on the agenda. <laughs> Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. I don't see any, I don't see any public. 
So for the record, there are no in-person public comments. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this, on this item who are calling in should call 415-655-0001, access code 2487-839-1125, and if you need to, the webinar password is 1234, then press pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. <clears throat> please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. At that time, press star six to unmute yourself and you may begin your comments. Please note you will have three minutes. Moderator, do we have any public comments? We have no public comments. So for the record, there are no public comments. Uh, this concludes the public comment section for this agenda item. Great. Um, can we please move to item three? Approval with possible modification of the minutes of the February 27th, 2023 meeting. I move to approve the minutes. Second. I actually had a question about the minutes. I'm not sure if it was um, discussed during the last meeting, but I thought we added another liaison to the whistleblowers. Did, did we add another whistle? Uh, I didn't see it on the list. Yep, we'll have to check. So we didn't, okay. Not sure. I didn't see it on the, in the did. either, but for some reason I remembered that conversation remember at some point. Was. That's fine. We'll go back and look. Right. <laughs> yeah. Was it? Wasn't anyone here? Member okay. uh, McHugh. It might have been Member McHugh. Okay. She she recently left the committee. Resigned. Okay. And so I might have already taken her name off. I see. <clears throat> that might have been it. It was right before the meeting. Okay. Okay. Uh, where are we now? Uh, we go to public comment. Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. I don't see any public. So for the record, there are no in-person public comments. And <clears throat> members of the public who wish to provide public comment by phone, please press star three now. Moderator, do we have any public comment by phone? So we do not have any public comment by phone. So for the records, there are no public phone comments. This concludes the public comment section for this agenda item. Uh, if we could take a roll call vote. Sure. Um, to approve the minutes, um, Vice Chair Crawford? Aye. Member Gein? Aye. Member Larkin? Aye. Chair Matthews? Aye. Member Pantoja? Aye. And Member Sanderlin? Aye. Okay, the minutes are approved. Thanks. If we could move to agenda item four, please. Presentation from the port regarding the 2018 Embarcadero Seawall Earthquake Safety Bond and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. 
expect our presenter is Carlos Colon, the Waterfront Resilience Program Administrator. Welcome. Thank you. Um, can you hear me? This good? Yeah. Great. Uh, thank you, committee members. I think um, because our first bond sale was 2020, this may be our first in-person presentation to discuss the progress of our uh, the Seawall bond. I'm here with uh, Stephen Reel, the Deputy Program Manager of Project Management and Engineering, uh, and also Skylar Poe, our analyst working on funding for the program. Uh, so a quick overview of what we'll go over. We'll talk about, um, for the first time, the actual projects. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the flood study and the draft adaptation strategies. And I'll finish with talking about uh, the expenditures to date. Uh, this is a report about last year, 2022. Um, but I have to add that in the last 30 days, uh, we did have a second bond sale for almost $40 million, uh, and we should be receiving that funding shortly. Uh, but again, this report is what we've done in 2022. Um, and so now I'd like to bring up Stephen to talk about our early projects. Stephen. Good morning, committee members. Stephen Real, Waterfront Resilience Program, Deputy Program Manager for Project Delivery and Engineering. And the Waterfront Resilience Program stretches the entire seven and a half miles of the port. The highlighted number one area is the Embarcadero Zone, which is the subject of the, the seawall bond. We've identified 23 potential early projects uh, in this stretch, which is much more than we have current funding for. Um, we're, we're focused on uh, reducing life safety risk improving disaster response capability, and addressing near-term flood risk. Uh, we've moved forward with six of the projects. We've completed, they're in pre-design. We've completed needs assessment reports on those, and I'll go over those projects. First is the Wharf J9 replacement and resilient shoreline project. Uh, this is over in Fisherman's Wharf. Uh, it's an area that is um, a failing wharf and a high earthquake risk seawall. Uh, we're looking to sort of develop the, the resilient shoreline typology for Fisherman's Wharf and start it here. Um, this project will also increase disaster response capability by providing earthquake accessible berths, including uh, the fireboat berth, where there's an emergency fire water systems manifold at the edge that's currently inaccessible. And we're also looking to start to revitalize what has been a historically underinvested area connect residents and visitors to the, to the working fishing industry and create that continuous waterfront experience. Uh, the project is looking at various alternatives for the wharf replacement, but we also brought in Alscoma Way and a little section of uh, earthquake at risk seawall on Jefferson Street, which we think is really needed to unlock the benefits of this project. I'll move down the shoreline towards the south. The next project we come to is Pier 15 Bulkhead Wall and Wharf Earthquake Safety Retrofit Project. This is where the Exploratorium is. The focus of this project is really to improve that earthquake safety by retrofitting the bulkhead wall and the substructure to reduce any risk of collapse in very large earthquakes. This area has a high risk of lateral spreading within the seawall zone, very difficult to fix. So for the time being, what we want to do is 
is um, live through that type of movement should that large earthquake occur. Um, there's also um, berths out here that will be used for earthquake disaster response, so we want to make sure we have a reliable path between the pier and land. Um, and we want to keep the exploratorium open during construction. We're looking at the substructure retrofits. There's already been some investment out here uh, in the pier and some of the substructure. Uh, we think we may need to increase the width of the seismic joint that's out there. And then we have this third alternative, which is really a substructure replacement in kind, which we call the spider frame. It's an adaptable, uh, jackable wharf system. We don't, at this point uh, um, in our analysis, we don't think that that type of solution is needed, that we would be sort of focused on the alternative one. Moving further south right next door is Pier 9, and it's a similar type of project. Um, of note, the difference here is this pier has not had that um, initial earthquake retrofit and substructure repair, um, but we have the same goals uh, with this project. And um, of note is that the, this project is either going to focus on adding that seismic joint and repairing the substructure and wall or looking at this spider frame, which is this adaptable bulkhead wharf that we can later raise in the future, so sort of a foundational investment. I'll note that adapt, major adaptation in this zone with seawall replacement is coming later. Moving further south to the ferry building. This is the ferry building seawall and substructure earthquake reliability project. Here we're focused on improving earthquake safety by strengthening the seawall and the substructure of the iconic ferry building. We really want to provide reliable earthquake disaster response capability for the ferry berths and the staging areas here. Um, this was highlighted in our disaster response exercise with um, city and regional partners. We see an opportunity to improve waterside public realm, uh, utility services. We want to minimize construction impacts with this one. This is a highly active area and just sort of coming back from COVID. Uh, and we, we see the need to develop the long-term adaptation plan here and make these, make these investments, initial steps on that adaptation path. It's a really complicated area. Um, most complex area on the waterfront. We have very thick bay muds here, 100 feet thick. We have a mix of structures dating from 1889. Uh, we have the 240 foot tall clock tower of the ferry building and then BART tunneled underneath. Um, we developed an initial seismic measures toolkit. We have eight, eight different draft project alternatives and we're moving forward with alternative analysis now. Um, Piers 5 through 22 and a half is the next project. Uh, this is our near-term coastal flood risk re reduction project, basically from Broadway down to Howard Street, about three, uh, three quarters of a mile. This area is settled, it's at flood risk today, it floods in king tides. Uh, so we're looking to start investing, protecting BART and Muni, the underground, from any sort of any flooding in the near term. Um, we want to balance the investments we make today with investments that will come later. We've submitted a FEMA brick grant 
on this one for in $50 million. We're really hopeful that we will get that and combine that with general obligation bond funds to, to, to deliver this project. Here you can see the, the stretch of waterfront that we're talking about. And then uh, further south by the Bay Bridge is Piers 24 and a half through 28 and a half earthquake safety project, the, the seawall earthquake safety project here. Our risk assessment noted a high risk of collapse for this section of bulkhead. You can see it supports the sections of the promenade here, which are pretty highly active. Um, we're noting that this is uh, age and conditions here are challenging. Um, we're looking at simple retrofits that can really reduce that risk of collapse to full replacement alternatives. We also note that we've got uh, adjacent projects at Piers 3032 and Piers 38 and 40 that are development projects. And if they move ahead, they could help deliver a full stretch of improved seawall. So we have an alternative, alternative four, that follows along that stretch of replacement, um, replacement seawall. So our next steps, we're advancing the alternatives. Um, we intend to complete pre-design uh, this year on some of the projects. Um, we're targeting construction in late 2024 um, for the first projects. We'll continue to coordinate pre-design of the early projects with these larger adaptation strategies that are part of the Army Corps study. Um, and we continue to seek additional fundings. We have more need than we have funding for. There is one other project that's moving ahead as a pilot. It's called the Living Seawall Pilot. Um, here we're looking at ecological enhancements of seawalls. Um, this pilot has been installed. So we have three locations where we've installed different types of panels with textures and concrete at mixes and monitoring has started. We have two years of monitoring with the Smithsonian. So we're really hopeful that we'll get some good results out of that. Uh, here is our high-level schedule. So you can see we are in pre-design. We expect to continue pre-design through at least mid-2024. If, we if we're successful in getting more funding, we'll continue to bring on more projects. Um, we'll kick off detailed design and environmental approvals a little bit later this year. Uh, we expect to be bidding our first, con our first construction contra contract mid-2024 and starting construction before the end of 2024. That's the early projects. I'll quickly go over the Army Corps flood study. This is the waterfront-wide study with the Army Corps of Engineers. It's a general investigation. It's looking at major adaptation of the entire waterfront, including the Embarcadero zone. We're in the process now of evaluating alternatives that have been developed, and then we'll be selecting a plan later this year, toward the end of the year. Um, these are major changes for the waterfront. Um, the draft adaptation strategies that are being considered include no action, non-structural, which is flood proofing and moving critical facilities out of the way. Um, we're looking at different uh, levels of sea level rise. So a, level, a lower level of sea level rise is C, and then an adaptable version of that is, is strategy D. And then we have higher level of sea level rise scenarios E, F, and G, which include holding the line keeping the line of defense where it is today and protecting everything on the waterfront, managing the water, so letting water come into some areas, and then aligning watersheds where we might actually start to move out of some areas of the city. Carlos? 
Uh, so now I'll go back to the funding. <clears throat> this is our original budget for the program uh, for the $425 million bond. Stephen did talk about the Living Seawall, which is currently our only pilot project. You'll notice that we had originally budgeted $40 million for pilot projects back in 2018, um, but we are not going to use that $40 million for pilot projects. Uh, that additional funding will be distributed between probably preliminary design and final design of the early projects we have now. Uh, and then, as Stephen mentioned, we're currently going through the early projects. Once the preliminary design is complete, we'll have a budget, scope, and schedule for those projects. And once we have those budgets, uh, we will re revise this to be more accurate for our current budget for the full bond. Um, Steve has already discussed some of the highlights. You know, we are in, in preliminary design for the six early projects. Um, we're looking forward to completing those preliminary design of those six projects in the coming year and getting ready to go into final design. Uh, one risk um, is that we have expanded the scope of the original program. Originally, we thought we'd do two to three projects. We've now selected maybe 23 possible projects. And so we've sort of expended the contract we've had with the program management company, BH2M. We've expended faster than we thought. And so we think we will need an amend amend amendment to the contract in order to continue with the preliminary design of the six projects. And so we are in that process right now in negotiations with our port commission and talking with senior staff about having an amendment later this year. Here's our total program funding to date. So we do have the bond, which closes to $50 million from the first bond sale. We did get a $5 million grant from the state a few years ago, and the port has committed, I believe, uh, about $9.5 million as well. As Stephen mentioned before, we do have a $50 million brick grant application in, so we're, hoping, we're hopeful we can see that in the next year or two. Um, we also have about $9.9 million from the American Rescue Plan Act, yes. um, which we started using this year. Uh, and we'll have that money uh, this year and next year. Um, and we hope to continue to get money from uh, the 2028 City Resilience Bond. Uh, but I don't know the dollar value that the city will commit to the Seawall program. Here's what we spent to date of just the bond. Uh, the majority has been spent on the planning, engineering, and the preliminary design. This is um, only through 2022. We have spent in the last few months uh, another five or so million and issued another five or so million in contract task authorizations. So this is pretty much all, it does say there's a 3.8 in encumbrance. That full balance, uh, bond balance of 6.4 has now been committed to the program. So as soon as we get this money from the next bond sale, we're going to start issuing um, additional encumbrance for the CH2M task, uh, excuse me, CH2M contract. And this is just sort of a table of what the other two um, pie charts showed. Um, again, you can see all the expenditures to date, although this is from 2028. There is no more balance. Everything's been um, appropriated. The 
you'll notice there's a negative balance in appropriations for Sewell program labor. Um, and that was because there was a, a charge that should have been put in port labor, and we've abated that charge, so there's actually a positive in 2023. Um, but at the end of the year, when I was doing this report, which I want to reflect accurately, we did have a negative balance. And that's, that's our presentation. And Stephen and I, are, or Skylar, are here to answer any questions. Thanks. I'll um, turn over to, to Bart to, if you have any questions. In the oh, yeah. Group. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Um, on page 13, uh, you talked about the, so the rely, the, if, could you bring that up, um, somebody on the PowerPoint? So page 13 and 14. You know, so the, the earthquake rely, reliability project. So this is a, a very, so you're talking about 23 small projects, you're, you're vetting out, you've got six attainable ones. Kind of, could you give me like an example of how the reliability project and one of these six projects are gonna kind of work together or, and what it's gonna take? Yeah, so this one's the, the ferry building and we use the term reliability because first responders wanna come here and use the area immediately after a large earthquake like a repeat of the 1906. So there's gotta be no question. Um, I flashed up this slide very quickly. I didn't talk too much about it, but there's a lot of different structures out here, different seawall types uh, and different surrounding structures. They're all built prior to seismic codes and they're very challenging ground conditions. So as we've looked into this, um, in order to get high reliability here, we think there's probably a major investment that may not be something we can handle with the first, with this bond, uh, but we can get we can get started. And so there are certain things in our toolkit, like liquefaction mitigation of soils that sit right under the seawall, we think we can probably bring in as a first project. And we would wanna build this up as as um, steps. So each, each step is incrementally improving this area and also setting us up for sea level rise and flood protection. I mentioned um, the Downtown Coastal Resilience Project, which we had previously called Piers 5 through 22 and a half. This has flood protection in this area as well. So those two projects are, are sort of working together. Is that? Yeah, no, I just want to get a little, just a little, little bit deeper in it because it's a lot, you know, that's, that's what I discovered in, in our conversations. It's just um, looking back at that picture of the, of the, the coast, the, that area that was at uh, 14. So down page 14, no, 13 the actual like picture so looking at so the ferry buildings there and the the part that's on the water coming forward towards us that's kind of the area they want to have is the the this meeting area in the case of a major emergency it is on the water yeah it's over so, the water but i'm just kind of it's going to be a major task to make that reliable yes it will that's just kind of the point I, I yep yeah and then uh, so you kind of touched the, the question on the Army Corps of Engineers. So one thing I, that's, we're in the process of evaluating now, right? So they, you've, that's, which is fantastic because, you know, looking at the money needed for this, it's going to be in the billions and, and we're talking about a sale of just 40 million to just get this ball rolling. Um, what is the hope with the uh, Army Corps engineers if they say, yes, this is very important, um, is that that's going to leverage some of the, that billion or most of it, I hope, because as a city, you know, we, we can only do so much. Yeah, so the, the Army Corps of Engineers is the 
sort of gatekeeper for the federal government's flood protection investments. We were successful in getting a general investigation. General investigations can bring quote unquote unlimited funds. They have to be approved by Congress. And it's typically a 65-35 match, so 65% federal government, 35% local. So it's a favorable, favorable um, investment. Um, with that, the Army Corps, you know, they lead the study. We're partners with them, but they really are in the, in the lead. And they are looking at um, benefit cost analysis. So flood damage is avoided compared to the investment in flood protection. And we'll note that they've successfully done projects in um, many areas all over the country, but not in urban areas. Generally, they want to come in and build a simple flood wall, which is not going to work on our waterfront. And so, and, and sea level rise is also something that the Corps is still sort of grappling with. What, what rate of sea level rise do we use? So we all know it's coming, just how quickly. So we're still in with the study. We're very hopeful that it will lead to significant federal funding. I, th thank you. I just kind of wanted to help the, the members, you know, because again, I get to have some conversations with you as a liaison and have a little bit better understanding, but it, it's, it's just a big project with a lot of pieces. Um, and then I guess to kind of back up back to the, uh, the six projects that have been targeted, um, you know, I, and I'll put, I put this in my liaison report, what I think, which is in our following meeting or something like that, but ultimately, you know, progress is happening. I know when, again, this bond was released prior to the pandemic, there wasn't a lot of movement uh, because of uh, some, uh, I forget the specifics, but basically you're held up. And now that things are moving, it's, it's moving, you know, and for something this, this immense, you know, I really uh, appreciate the movement that's going so far. As a resident, and concerns about you know flooding in our transit system, you know which it's it, it can we only wish it could move faster. But again, we're you know we can only do what we can do. So thank you. Thank you. That's all I have. Thanks, Bart. Uh, any other members questions comments? I I actually have a couple of more questions about funding. Um, you just mentioned that the Army Corps of Engineer would have to get additional um, investment, of course, approved by Congress. When would that happen? When would they go before Congress to, assuming that they do recommend? Um, so I don't know the exact name, but there's a general, there's a report that the Army Corps will submit um, not until 2026, or do you know the exact? It's, it's a little uncertain, but um, let me see if we have the timing here. Yeah, we didn't have, we don't have it on this slide. So they get to something called a tentatively selected plan, which is what we're driving towards the end of this year. To complete the study, NEPA goes along with that, so NEPA would start uh, moves through a series of steps up to a chief's report. So the chief of engineers will sign off on it and then make a recommendation to Congress. The earliest that we see that happening is 2025. It could be a little bit later than that. And you mentioned um, if they could fund up to 65% and 35% would have to be funded locally. Is that city and county of San Francisco or could we use some state funds to 
fund that? What do they consider local, I guess, is my question. That's a good question. Um, I think any additional money we can bring in is considered local. So if it's state funds. Could be private funds. Could be private funds, yep. Okay. Um, and the FEMA grant, when do you expect, I actually had another two questions about federal funding. So the $9 million ARPA and the $50 million FEMA, do you guys see any risk with the current um, budget negotiations, shall we call them, that um, are happening at the federal level with this, this almost $60 million in funding? Or do you feel like that's locked and loaded and we're, we will be for sure getting, well, I know the, the $50 million we're not sure about yet, right. right? But the $9 million that's already been approved, do you see any um, risk with the debt ceiling negotiations that are happening right now? No, I, I don't. And we already have uh, over $6 million of that. We're already spending it. Oh, you are? Okay. All right. So Great. there's 3.8 that we're getting next fiscal year okay. of that 9.9. Uh, and the $50 million FEMA grant, do you know when you'll hear about that? Um, no, but I'd like to invite Skylar because she's yeah. worked on that. Funding. And she'll have the details. Okay. And the answer will be we probably don't know yet, but she explained <laughs> more depth. Okay. Um, yeah, unfortunately, um, we don't know when we'll be receiving that funding or if. Um, it's still uncertain. We are hopeful because um, essentially when we apply through uh, when we apply to FEMA, we apply through Cal OES as a sub-applicant, and they have a really, really strict pro process of scrutinizing um, applications that come through and uh, issuing several rounds of RFIs. Um, and so we worked with them really closely on um, the BCA for this project, and we're really hopeful that the funding will go through. So it was approved by them and forwarded to FEMA. Um, so now it's it's just sitting with FEMA, and um, it's really hard to get a, a you know specific status update um, on that as it moves through the federal government. Yeah. Okay. And then one final question: You said you you got five million dollars from the state. What office state office did that come through? Um, California. I want to say uh, natural resources. And we got that grant, I think, back in 2018, uh, and spent the full five million within, I think, two two years. Thank you. Also, um, Brian. Yeah, um, going back to slide 14, the one of the vicinity of the ferry building. Um, you indicated that that was an area of concern, but that there wasn't much risk to the BART SFTS. And what does SFTS stand for? San Francisco. San Francisco Transition Structure. When you look uh, in this slide and out behind the ferry building, you'll see a box, basically, a little building on top of it. Yeah. That's where the BART transitions from a board tunnel to the Transbay tube. That's like a vent structure? It serves as venting. It's a, also an emergency access location. But it, but you think it's in good shape. So if 
If yeah. this project gets delayed because of lack of funding, it's not like there's immediate exposure to damage to the Transbay tube. You don't there's not, and BART has evaluated that. So that's, that's within their program, the BART Earthquake Safety Program, and they've worked on that. So. All right, thank you. We partnered with BART um, in the uh, application for the $50 million from uh, FEMA BRIC, and so we will continue to work with them if we are able to secure that funding um, on adapting the area surrounding the transition structure. So was that a grant, a partnership application for the, not for the $50 million, something else? For the $50 million, yes. So okay. they... Uh, we're a co-applicant um, with the port as the lead. Got it. Okay, that's good. Just out of curiosity, the alternatives that included the spider frame, what's the relative cost of that to the other two alternatives? I don't have numbers yet, but it's, it's more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that... <clears throat> When we look at, you know, the future, next 30 years, next 50 years, and you look at the investment that you need to make in substructures, repairs for the old substructure, and the uh, adaptation that's needed, you know, the spider frame is sort of you're, you're buying an initial investment that gives you a new lease on life, earthquake resilient, and is adaptable. And so that's going to be more than alternative two, which is, you know, installing a which is working with what you have, retrofitting what you have. Um, in alternatives analysis, that's when we're really going to dig into that and evaluate it and decide whether it's, it's better to spend the, the bigger money up front or to push that down the road. Very good. Well, thank you, Carlos, Stephen, and Skyler. Um, I think that's it from the members. If we could take public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. For the record, there are no in-person public comments. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment by phone on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code. 2487-839-1125, and the webinar password, 1234, and then pound, and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. At that time, press star 6 to unmute yourself, and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three Minutes. Moderator, do we have any public comments on the phone? Caller, I believe I've unmuted you.
Okay, the mo moderator will unmute them. Hello? Hi. Sorry about that. Uh, my comments uh, are that we need to do a sound needs assessment. And as has been alluded by one or two of you, we need the funding in place. The seawall adverse impacts will go all the way to Montgomery. So it's for y'all to look at the wider picture. Now, the Corps of Engineers specialize in uh, uh, seawalls and dam building. But we also have in San Francisco other experts. And we need at least one outside private agency to do a needs assessment on the funding. We do have money in the infrastructure bill, but we have to apply for it with timelines and goals. And I do not know if on the Citizens General Obligation Bond Oversight, if you have any engineer, structural engineer, that's important. If you don't have one, you have to have one as a consultant. And there's a lot of politicking linked to this program. You all know a little about it, but there's more to it. And hopefully we don't have a change in Washington, D.C. That's another thing we have to look out for. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, caller. Moderator, are there any more raised hands? Okay. Uh, for the record, there are no more phone public comments. So this concludes a public comment section of this agenda item. Thanks, Roseanne. Um, please move to item five. Liaison reports. 2011 Road Repaving and Street Safety Bond Program and 2014 Transportation and Road Improvement Bond. Okay. Um, thank you. So uh, two liaison reports for the 2011 and 2014 bonds. Myself and Member Larkin will report. Um, I'm taking the privileges of the chair to do the easy one. <laughs> uh, so my report is on the 2011 road repaving street safety bond. Um, this bond program has been uh, encumbered and spent to the level of 98.9%, I believe, for the last five or three or so years. Um, and we're looking forward to this program being closed out. Um, and it has very much fulfilled um, uh, what it's supposed to have done um, that the voters approved. So very happy to see this uh, move along and hopefully it will be off of our agendas. Uh, Member Larkin. Okay, I'll, I'll just add to that one, one item. Um, I did contact, was in contact with Edmund Lee of DPW about this and asked him if there were any outstanding either real or potential construction claims on any of the, the projects within the program and he said no. 
that's good news. All right. Having said that, on the 2014 Transportation Road Improvement Bond, um, I had a conversation with Bree Mewarder, and I'm hoping if I'm pronouncing her name, the last name right, I got the first name right. Uh, she's fairly new CFO, CAO, Chief Administrative Officer for the MTA. I think she said she'd been on the job for four months now. Um, she introduced to me, to us, um, a new format to the quarterly report that we get, pardon me, yeah, the quarterly report that MTA puts out. Um, as her background is financial, she was more concerned with percent complete of the various projects within the programs. And to that end, the report has several tables, I'm gonna say up to about a dozen, that show the percentage of expenditures on, on the different projects. Um, this, this gave her and MTA staff a better idea of where they were on the different ones as far as relative to one another and just how much they had spent in, in total. Um, for instance, the Caltrain upgrade is 95% expended and I think 100% uh, committed. Uh, and in contrast to that, the accessi accessibility improvements are only 10% expended. And I'm, this is of interest to me, and I understand why it was of consequence to Ms. Mowater, is that some years ago, early in this bond program, I'm going to say 2016, some members of the Board of Supervisors were complaining that there weren't spending, spending down the contract fund, the, the bond funds quickly enough. And I and um, Brenda Quee McNulty, who were the co-liaisons for the bond at that time, went and spoke to the Board of Supervisors, explained in part why we saw that was happening. So just to let them know we weren't asleep at the switch, this was something going on at our on our watch. This was in part our responsibility, you know, the reason that there is a bond, a CGOBAC. But in any event, having this information on a quarterly basis should be helpful to all of us, not just MTA staff, but those of us on CGOBAC. Um, having said all that, uh, the new format does not include as much information on the status of the projects as the former format did, at least not as I read it. Um, I like to see that information because included in each of the narratives for each of the projects was something about potential, pardon me, risks and problems, I think it was called. I could then see those and, and ask follow-up questions on, on what the risks were, and I'm especially conscious of, of construction risk claims. Those are, those are claims where the owner has delayed the contractor, the contractor gets money, and for that the owner gets the privilege of watching a bunch of guys stand around leaning on shovels and having the project delivered late. So in other words, you spend money for no good reason whatsoever other than that you have to. That's part of like why I like to see that. And again, we're, I'm just an overseer here, but when I see those things, I try to call them out. And I gotta say in the past, staff members, MTA staff members have been real receptive. They've been cooperative, giving me what information that they have. Um, 
I don't have that information for some of those projects this time. The, the report that we got did list two, two contracts that had scheduled, scheduled changes. One was contract 65, which I think was a traffic signal upgrade contract, and one for, I think, outer mission or just Mission Street signal upgrade, some portion of Mission Street. And I've asked for a little bit more information on those. When I get it, I will report it under the old business section of a future meeting. And that, as they say, is that. Thanks, Member Larkin. Uh, any other board members questions for us? Comments? Excellent. Uh, if we could take public comment on this item, please, Roseanne. Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. I don't see any members of the public. <clears throat> so for the record, there are no in-person public comments. And members of the public who wish to provide public comment by phone, please st press star three now to line up. And we don't have any raised hands. <laughs> for the records, there are no additional phone public comments. This concludes the public comment section for this agenda item. Thanks, Roseanne. Uh, if we could move to our final item, number six. Opportuni opportunity for committee members to comment or take action on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction. 6A, audits unit, public integrity reviews. B, CSA division, updates and work plan. C, public finance, upcoming bond issuances. And D, C, go back. FY 2022-2023 work plan liaison and meeting dates. Thank you, Roseanne. Good morning, committee members. Natasha Mihal, City Performance Director in the Controller's Office. Uh, to start with uh, 6A, Mark De La Rosa is out of the office this week, so he provided some updates that I'm going to read for you. So on the Audits Unit Public Integrity Review, CSA Audits has no new public integrity-related updates since our last meeting in February. CSA Audits continues to work on two public integrity-related ongoing engagements with planned issuances in June 2023. The first is the audit of the city's landfill agreement, and the second is the SFPUC public integrity assessment. For item 6B, the CSA division updates and work plan, I will start with audits. So for this fiscal year that we're currently in and almost ending, fiscal year 23, CSA audits continues to complete a number of audits and assessments, including mandated lease audits, operational audits, public integrity assessments, IT cybersecurity assessments, and citywide risk assessments. In addition, they also continue to administer the whistleblower program and lead the citywide COVID-19 FEMA cost recovery efforts. So in collaboration with City Performance, uh, CSA Audits has begun its fiscal year 23-24 work planning in order to identify audits and assessments to prioritize next fiscal year. Examples of risk areas for consideration include nonprofit contracts and grants compliance, construction projects and bond expenditures, procurement and contracting, cybersecurity, and public integrity, among others. A portion of our work plan will be devoted to continuing our work related to the whistleblower program, disaster cost recovery, government audit standards compliance, and following up on audit recommendations and corrective actions. On the city performance side, uh, in the coming, 
month or so, we have a number of reports that we will be issuing. Um, we did, a couple of weeks ago, issue the city survey report. Um, I hope you all had a chance to look at that. That's at sf.gov slash city dash survey. Uh, this was our biennial survey of public residents' perception of government. Scores were generally down this year, um, but it's a really interesting report to take a look at. I'm sure the start, starting for the next city survey will begin soon. We're coming up on issuing a nonprofit wage and equity survey results. Um, we also are uh, launching the first report of our street standards mandate um, that accompanies our park standards. So this looks at the cleanliness and experience of streets and sidewalks across the city uh, to some objective standards we have developed. We are going to issue a review of the collaborative courts and a uh, report on homelessness benchmarking. Our big effort, as well as audits and in collaboration with them, is our work planning for next fiscal year. So this will really be our first full fiscal year out of COVID work on our side of the shop. I will say both sides of the house, I think, are going to start the fiscal year mostly fully staffed, which is a huge accomplishment. We haven't had that since probably 2019. Uh, which means we have a lot of work to develop. Some of our key priorities uh, involve just getting back into um, our work with departments, rebuilding on the city performance side our key services related to analysis, process improvement, facilitation, data visualization. We also know that the city is in an interesting time of long-term budget deficits, and we think that our work can provide some real value to help the city understand um, where things are working, where things could change. The city is going to have to do more with less, and so there might be analyses or process improvement efforts that we might undertake. And then we'll also be kicking off with audits a five-year work plan on homelessness. So on our side of the shop, that means continuing to do work with them on small, smaller projects on process improvement or facilitation, um, but also doing a new item, which is probably every year taking on an assessment of a large piece of the, of the homelessness system. So we're probably going to start with temporary shelter. And so we, we're designing what this looks like, but it can include everything from really understanding what is going on with the system now to doing some benchmarking, getting some qualitative information that would hopefully help the city and residents understand um, what the challenges are, what's working well, and what are some other ideas that might help improve the system. That is all I have for CSA work plan. For C, the public finance upcoming bond issuances. Thank you, Natasha. Hey, Anna Van Degna, Public Finance Director. Um, as Carlos mentioned earlier, we recently closed um, on April 11th uh, financing to fund uh, affordable housing, seawall, and health and recovery projects. We don't have anything um, on the immediate horizon for, for new financings, but there are a few potentials that may come forward in fiscal 24. Um, first, uh, an additional health and recovery financing to fund um, both uh, Department of Public Health and HSH projects. And then two, there's a potential for a pass financing. And then lastly, we're also monitoring uh, the interest rate environment to see if we can take advantage of uh, market rates for a geo bond refunding. Happy to answer any questions about our upcoming financings. 
just have one. What does pass funding? Sure, it's the um, Preservation and Seismic Safety Loan Program. It's the loan program that, that was repurposed um, uh, more recently, and this would be the, the third uh, issuance of that repurposed program. Um, it varies um, between taxable and tax exempt, but the tax exempt rates that we just received uh, is about three and a half percent, and then just over five percent for the taxables. I think in looking at the entire portfolio, uh, there are some financings with higher kind of four and five percent coupons on the tax exempt side um, that might be candidates for a funding. We're, we're still a ways off in just kind of early stages of evaluating. We haven't brought a financing team on board um, for this yet. So. And for the final item here, uh, we have the C. Gobach FY2223 work plan, liaison, and meeting dates. So I do have up on the public slide here the calendar for the rest of the fiscal year, which is just one more meeting in June. So we have one program report, which is the park bonds, and we have one liaison report, which is the public health and safety bonds programs. Any questions on any items in this one? Um, yeah. Natasha, at one point you mentioned something about cybersecurity, but I didn't get what the context was. Um, audits has a program to do cybersecurity audits of different pieces of San Francisco's network, whether that's a department or with the Department of Technology serving all of the city. Is that ongoing or is that about to start? It's ongoing. There's an ongoing program in that. So they do do a risk assessment every year to identify which departments and which services they should audit. Um, I'm interested in the, the homelessness report that you're working on. Mm -hmm. You say it's, it's an ongoing audit. Do I understand that correctly? There will, be there will be audit components to the work plan. Um, the assessment is on the city performance side, so it is more of um, a report. We don't know exactly what the format will be. We're doing some scoping on that right now. Mm -hmm. I think we don't want to do just a big report that we'll then issue at the end of the day that can sit on a shelf. We do want to make this meaningful, and so we're going to try to develop it where we'll have some um, interim deliverables or some other way to report on progress and results. I'll look forward to seeing it. Thanks. Thanks. Other questions? I have a question about um, the Siegelbach work plan. Yes. Does that involve recruiting new members? And um, can you just review which seats are open and what the, um, I guess, qualifications for those seats are? Yes. I'm going to ask for Roseanne's help on this, though we might have to pull it up. Um, seat three is vacant, and that is a board of supervisors appointed. Um, they're the appointing authority, and they need to be active in a community organization. And then we've got um, 
a controller as appointing authority for this one. It's seat five, active in public finance law or auditing governmental finance financial statements. Uh, let's see, I'm gonna scroll down a little bit. Ryan Chauvin, I guess that's, oh. And then um, this one is appointed by the mayor. It's seat seven, active in a business organization representing the business community located within the city. And, and those are all the vacancies. So if anyone does have names they would like to suggest, please forward them to Roseanne or me. That would be great. Other questions? Chair Matthews, did you want to talk about the work plan calendar at all or? Uh, sure, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I think that, oh, sorry. Uh, member oh, sorry. I'm gonna go first, please, sorry. Um, I have a question on, you mentioned the nonprofit wage and equity survey. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yes, yeah, so um, our team did a comprehensive two-step level um, a survey of nonprofits to identify wages um, by the types of positions in them in order to be able to look across the system to say, are, is there a difference in what case managers are paid by either the size of the organization, by the race ethnicity of those who are in the class, um, the idea here is to take a look at where are there gaps in the system of what the city is paying for in contracts. So one way of looking at it is you could say what's, what is kind of underpaid in one way and uh, overpaid, or maybe not overpaid, but you know the disparities in, in the same type of services that we're asking because there's so many contracts and departments who contract with them. And then also taking a look at what is the race and ethnicity uh, in these different classifications of what people it's not classifications, that's a city structure, but position type um, are looking at. And so this information um, is, is we have a policy group with some nonprofit leaders in the city and city staff who have been taking a look at what the findings have been. There will be a follow-up at some point that is recommendations that ideas are now coming up on how might we address um, some of these wage issues in the city budgeting process, um, but that's gonna take a little bit more time. We didn't wanna hold showing the results until we had everything. What's the average timeline for when a survey launch? Five-ish months. Um, and then the last question, you said both sides of the house are fully staffed. What does that look like? The number of FTEs, it's, it's, I think it's about 74 for both sides, so audits is a little bit larger than city performance, um, and so I think there'll be about five vacancies maybe going into the fiscal year, four, four to five vacancies, as opposed to um, on audit side, they just hired 12 people, I think. We're, we have offers out to nine people um, to fill vacancies, um, so it's been a lot of vacancies. Um, you know, the city's hiring process, which we do have a pro project to help us <laughs> make some changes on it. Um, it takes anywhere from three to eight months, I think, to fill positions. We've done something in our 
a key performance analyst, senior performance analyst position where we're using something that DHR hasn't allowed for about 15 years, which is to do a provisional hire. That means you have to have a civil service process going on in the background. We have been in the process of redoing our process so that we can take advantage of new rules that are going to come in place, that we can have continuous testing and continuous lists. Um, it's taking longer than we thought, so we decided to do provisional hiring, and we issued that in January, and we are making offers in April. Um, Maybe we issued. Anyway, it's been a really fast process, um, which has been amazing. Sure. So I had a question regarding the um, the seats. Uh, what, just since we're talking about it, what's the uh, term limit of uh, a commissioner seat, if, if any? <laughs> I think there is, though, right? There is a t there is a term limit. How many terms can someone serve on this uh, commission consecutively? Two. I didn't know if they heard me. But I thought. Yeah, yeah. so two-year two terms. What's that? And then the charter police come for you. Yeah, yeah. Two two-year terms. Yeah. A few of you have already served your two two-year terms, so you're with, on a, a holdover status. Because <laughs> okay. I was thinking, I've been here for a little bit, too, yeah. and I'm, so, I'm just starting to kind of get uh, feeling like I got my feet on the <laughs> ground, and that's what I was going to think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was barely understanding it after the the four years. Yeah. I'm not much better now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Great. Um, uh, two quick points for me, I think, related to the uh, the work plan. Um, a lot of us are new, I think, uh, recently, and so um, I think it might be helpful. There was some discussion about. Uh, staff updates a little more regularly. I think um, perhaps just having a closer relationship with our program managers might be uh, the most helpful thing versus some sort of busy work report, um, unless that is necessary and we can we should talk about that. So let's maybe think about what we need to help um, our work here as liaisons reporting um, to the public. But in the meantime, maybe if I could ask uh, Roseanne to maybe set up emails between all of our respective program managers and, and liaison responsibilities, and that way we can reconnect and uh, have that line of communication um, easily accessible. I think that might help at least me a little more. So okay. uh, that was the, the first point, and I think uh, we mentioned as I uh, walked in, we do have an annual report um, that we should work on, um, and so let's, let's think about that, and, and we'll kind of work uh, between meetings to, to get pieces together. Great. And I think we can also propose a fiscal year 24 calendar that would replace the one because we just have it now through June. Mm -hmm. Should look pretty similar because we do do everything on a one year or every six month basis. So it um, shouldn't be too surprising. Yeah, I think that makes sense. You need a motion for that? Or a calendar? Or is it expected? Expected oh, next yeah. time, yes. I think it's in the. Yeah. Yeah. Regular work. It's in the bylaws, or it's, okay. it's there somewhere where we have to provide it the first. Yeah. Great. Okay. The end of the year. Very good. Um, last piece we have to take uh, public comment on. Public comment. Please. Okay. Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment, please line up now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. 
don't see any public. So for the records, there are no in-person public comments. And then <clears throat> members of the public who wish to provide public comment by phone on this item, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. At that time, you may need to press star six to unmute yourself, and you may begin your comments. Please note that you have three minutes. Moderator, do we have any raised hands? I do see one. Moderator, will you please unmute the caller? Caller, you may begin. Caller, I believe you're unmuted. You might have to press star six, try pre pressing star six. Mm, there he is. Okay, we are having problems with the system. Anyway. Okay. What I want to, uh, I want to make some uh, very general statements because this presentation given by the controller's office is mudding the waters. And uh, when you all look at the obligation bond oversight, there's more to it. Uh, you all don't focus, for example, on green bonds having in mind climate change. And the citizens of San Francisco are dealing with abject corruption. So you all do have to have an orientation on the sunshine, the ethics commission, and the controller's office for input from the constituents the citizens of San Francisco who are suffering. So when we talk about auditing uh, all those programs with the homeless, millions and millions and millions of dollars have been wasted. It is only now in the year 2023 that we are looking into it. How can you charge $80,000 for a test? How can you charge $32,000 a year for a navigation bed, for a bed in a navigation center? So as a citizen general obligation bond oversight committee, you all have to understand that we, the citizens, are suffering. Whereas anyone can come and give you all a presentation and muddy the waters. By, by which I mean, you, when you, the more topics you, you throw out there, the more arrows you shoot in the air, the more complicated you make it for the citizens of San Francisco. And by the way, in San Francisco, we have astute citizens, many of them with uh, master's degrees and PhDs. And they contact me and they say, Francisco, we hear you during public comments, how can we participate? So we have to do an outreach in our universities so that they can give you the feedback, the real feedback. 
rather than just presentations that touch on uh, 50, 60 topics. And you really have to uh, know something. You have to be educated on issues so that you can talk about it. So I appreciate Thank you, caller. Moderator, do we have any more uh, raised hands? Nope. So for the record, there are no additional phone public comments. This concludes the public comment section for this agenda item. Great. Thanks. I want to thank all the staff um, and presenters and board members for our return to in-person. Um, it's nice to see everyone. But uh, on that, we can adjourn our meeting. Do we need a motion or? No. We don't need one? Okay. For the record, the meeting adjourned at 1046 a.m. Thank you all.